This morning's reading will be 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting from verse 1. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're now returning to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in the sermon series, and we've been considering at various points over the last few months. Uh, The letter was written because the Corinthian church had been infiltrated by false teachers. They challenged Paul's personal integrity, and most seriously of all, his authority as an apostle. In his defense, Paul invites them to consider the transforming power of the gospel and all they observed in his life when he was with them. Let us pray as we sit. Loving Heavenly Father, may we not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. Amen. Well, as we look at our passage this morning under the title of A Commendable Life, I want to highlight three points from what Paul is saying. Here's the first one. The urgency of our calling. The urgency of our calling. As God's fellows workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Note who Paul is writing to. He describes the Corinthians as God's fellow workers, or as the Revised Standard Version of the Bible puts it, those who work together with God. Goodness me, I wouldn't like to have them on my team. It's quite a statement. The Corinthian church had been torn apart by immorality, division, lax behavior at the Lord's Supper, yet Paul addresses them as equals. He describes the gospel, his message, as God's grace. 
And there's a very old definition of God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And yet, it's the gospel in a nutshell. On the cross, Christ died in our place for our sins. There was that miraculous, extraordinary exchange. Not for the sins of the whole world, just, but for Charles Christopher Monum. And when I understood that, it changed everything. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we could have done to earn it. It's God's most precious gift. He couldn't have given anything more. And we, as a result, know his forgiveness, peace with God, reconciliation, forgiveness for sins and failures that hang over us, and an assured eternity with him forever. The future is sorted if we turn to Christ in repentance and faith. And Paul continues, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Do you hear the passion behind what he's saying? The Corinthians are in real spiritual danger. This is not a plea for them to receive Christ for the first time. It's a plea that having received Christ, they don't just sit there doing nothing, as if they've done all that's necessary. They'd had privileged access to Paul and his teaching, but it appears that the gospel hasn't really impacted their lives. That's an alarming thought, isn't it? And Paul focuses, Paul's focus on the power of the good news about Jesus won't allow him to let them get away with it. What a tragedy to receive God's forgiveness and love and yet for it not to be making a lasting impression on their daily lives. It's a serious mistake to think it's enough to make a commitment to Christ without understanding that he will change everything. Our priorities, our attitude to time, money, and other people. He's in the change business. In chapter 5, Paul describes the Corinthian Christians as Christ's ambassadors who have been tasked with the message of reconciliation to God. Ambassadors represent their country abroad, and one of their key duties is to communicate effectively messages given by the foreign office of their home country. If the Christians are not living the gospel and thus communicating clearly and truthfully the message entrusted to them, they are failing in their responsibilities. Which is why Paul, in verse 2, quotes from Isaiah 49. Isaiah speaks of God's servant coming on a rescue mission. That day has now arrived with Jesus. So it isn't just that they're failing to understand God's grace and so live different lives. They're also depriving others of a chance to respond to the message. How serious is that? No wonder Paul is stirred up. Listen again to the urgency in his voice. We urge you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I remember years ago, a very impressive leader of his university Christian union. He had a very calm authority. He knew biblical doctrine. 
And I expected him to make a considerable difference for Christ wherever he went. He then became a very successful businessman in the city of London. Imagine my disappointment when, some years later, I heard a Christian colleague of his saying, he never let his faith get in the way of his career. Never let his faith get in the way of his career. What a tragedy. Isn't that receiving grace in vain? It's sadly possible to receive God's grace in vain and make little or no spiritual impact on the world. And through Paul, God addresses you and me as his fellow workers. Where are we in all this? What kind of spiritual impact are we making on friends, family, neighbors, and work colleagues? That's Paul's question. Secondly, the marks of authentic faith. That's verses 3 to 10. What we now see is a most moving snapshot of Paul's ministry and its personal cost. One commentary describes the Corinthians as success-mad, reputation-driven, and ultra-ambitious. They are in imminent danger of backing those false lead teachers who on the surface look impressive, but who would lead them absolutely nowhere. And before he shares his experiences, Paul writes, verse 3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. And this follows on from our last point about the discrepancy between what you say and how you live. When there is a discrepancy between speech and life in a ministry, Paul recognizes that would be a stumbling block to another's faith. One writer puts it like this. Peter will be glad, people will be glad of an excuse not to listen to the gospel and will look for such in the conduct of ministers. And sadly, as we are all well aware, there have been recent examples of this failure from around the world. On the other hand, where there is no discrepancy, the message is even more powerful. One minister's daughter who grew up with a strong faith ascribed this partly to her father. My father was always the same man at home as he was in the pulpit. Preacher's note. Billy Graham led a number of missions around this country some 40 years ago and of course before then as well. And I was involved in preparatory training for the mission he led in Sunderland Football Stadium. It's acceptable in some quarters to discuss Billy Graham's life and ministry and slightly to dismiss it. All I can say is that I knew lives and churches which were transformed by his faithful presentation of the gospel. And his ministry has never been undermined by any later revelations of moral, financial, or other grounds because he was a godly leader of the utmost integrity. Thank God for Billy Graham. And, of course, 
we're not just talking about ministers or evangelists. Any Christian, any one of us, can put a stumbling block in the way of another person. We are God's shop windows. Back to Paul's account of his experiences. And for this, I want to read very quickly verses Psalms four, uh, verses 4 to 7. Listen to this. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. The overriding thought in verse 4 is that of great endurance, great endurance, which translates the Greek word hupomene. But great endurance doesn't adequately reveal the rich meaning behind the Greek. One commentator says hupomene does not describe the frame of mind which can sit down with folded hands and bowed head and let a torrent of troubles sweep over us in passive resignation. That's not what great endurance from Hupondime means. He continues, it is the courageous and triumphant ability to pass the breaking point and not to break. It's the process which changes the very nature of tribulation into strength and glory. Listen again. It's the process which changes the very nature of tribulation into strength and glory. And then Paul lists the experiences by which he commends himself to others. And the first group of such hupomene experiences are troubles, hardships, distresses. And these are the things that could happen to anybody. Illness, for example, or sudden bereavement. The next group, Paul mentions the suffering that Christians in particular face, beatings, imprisonments, riots. In 2019, the Bishop of Truro published a report about the global persecution of Christians. It is far more widespread than many of us realize. According to the International Society for Human Rights, Christians are believed to be targets of about 80% of all acts of religious discrimination and persecution. Let us support the work of Christian organizations such as Open Doors and Christian Solidarity Worldwide working to alleviate these terrible situations. And the third group Paul lists is hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. Gospel ministry is not a nine-to-five job. Gospel ministry is not a nine-to-five job. How does he overcome such trials and difficulties? Verses 6 and 7. It's by the Holy Spirit, the power of God, who produces fruit in his daily life. Fruit such as patience, understanding, kindness, love, and faithful speech. And also God gives him the weapons of righteousness, verse 7. In the right hand and the left, they are weapons of defense and attack. 
The sword was held in the right hand and the shield in the left arm. So according to one writer, God has given him the power to attack his task and to defend himself from his temptations. So Paul commends himself, even to his critics, by these victories which enable him to overcome whatever is thrown at him. And in an echo of chapter 4, where he talked about being pressed but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, Paul sets out a series of paradoxes which show that nothing can defeat him. From verse 8, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Consider those final words, having nothing yet possessing everything. What a wonderful truth. We may be poor and in the very worst of circumstances, but with Christ, we have everything. My wife, Tricia, and I have some very dear Christian friends who are demonstrating this on a daily basis. The wife has motor neurone disease. Her husband is her devoted carer, and they have an incredibly strong Christian faith. Instead of sitting back with folded hands, they're living life to the full. He taking her out in her wheelchair to look at the sea, enjoying their grandchildren when they come and go. And not long ago, when she could still speak unaided, she gave her testimony in church. She has her bags packed, ready for her journey to heaven. Both of them are an inspiration, pointing always to Jesus. That is hupomene, changing the very nature of one's terrible tribulation into strength and glory. Equally, when I came to the recent prayer meeting for all our mission partners, I heard about their costly and sacrificial ministry and service. I left humbled and challenged. Do you know what the letters EPNS stand for on cutlery? It's electroplated nickel silver. There's something for you to take away with you. It looks like silver, but it isn't. <clears throat> Real silver has a hallmark, stamps which tell you the year it was made, where it was made, and by whom. Real faith, genuine, authentic faith, as shown by Paul, St. Ebb's mission partners, and those friends of ours, is costly and sacrificial but it does not bend under pressure. Instead, it grows stronger. And all the glory goes to our Heavenly Father and to Jesus, his Son, through whom we are more than conquerors. Hupomene faith is what commends Christ to the world. 
My third point is this. Love is at the heart of godly ministry. Love is at the heart of godly ministry. Consider Paul's affection for the Corinthians. The false prophets have been trying to persuade them that Paul doesn't really care for them at all. And yet look at what he says here. He has spoken freely to them. He has opened his heart to them. He has shown his affection for them. And he pleads with them to do the same with him. It's a very sad sight indeed to see a church leader who is theologically correct, maybe a good preacher, but whose heart is cold towards the people in his church. I am really shocked, but I was, when a senior minister of a very large church said to me, we don't do pastoral care. And I saw the fallout from that attitude. Christians who felt of no value, who felt they never quite fitted in or pleased the leadership. How far that is from the attitude of the Good Shepherd who loved us, his people, his flock, so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. So what is a commendable life in Christian terms? Surely it's all that we've seen in Paul in these few verses. Someone whose senses that are calling to pass on the gospel is urgent. Someone who exhibits all the marks of authentic, genuine faith. Someone who puts love for others at the heart of their ministry and service. May we be inspired and energized to live a commendable life. Let us pray. A moment of quiet as we listen to God. What does he want us to do from hearing his word? Loving Lord, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for so many who have encouraged us and are encouraging us with their sense of urgency in sharing the gospel, for their authentic, genuine faith, and for their love for others. Lord, we long to be those people too who live lives that you commend with those wonderful words. Well done, good and faithful servant.